You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. Hopefully everybody's having a good day, a good week, a good month. Uh, I know the year is still pretty new, but hopefully your year has... uh, started off on the right foot. Thank you guys for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. Today we have a continuation of the wish list podcast that I did uh, last month. And uh, with it being 2017, I just wanted to continue this, uh, this category just a little bit and talk with a guy today. His name is Cameron Stover. He's from West Virginia. And uh, we talk about all the all the gear that he wishes he had and uh, the money uh, the money breakdown and uh, I give a little bit of uh, uh, an update on the uh, podcast the intro of the podcast uh, with Cameron so listen to that if you're if this is the very first wish list podcast that you have listened to other than that uh, not too terribly much to say right now I'm at the ATA show and uh, we'll be reporting to you next week with all of the new the new gear that's out my goal is to I'll, I'll put it this way in 2016 I talked with 42 hunting related companies in in the hunting industry and my goal is in three days is to go around and talk with some of these companies and ask them what's new in 2017 and uh, get a little update for you guys. Turn that into a podcast. Uh, I'm going to go and try to shoot uh, shoot all the new flagship bows that are out. Uh, if there's any companies out there that are brand new, I want to shoot their bows as well. That may be difficult to do considering the time constraints, but uh, I'm going to do what I can and then report back to you. But, you know, the ATO is the A, the ATO. The ATA is an industry show and uh it is basically all the archery slash bow hunting uh slash hunting companies in the industry are there and uh they release their new products, they set up uh deals with, you know, the Cabela's of the worlds, the the dealers, the mom and pop shops, uh all any place that sells archery equipment that's where that business is done 
So that's where I'll be, uh, and it's it's really cool because you get to meet a lot of cool people at these shows. You get to talk business for my podcast, and also you know bring some of that product information to your guys's ears. Now, before we get into today's podcast, I talked with Matt Klein from Exodus Trail Cameras to describe their direct to consumer marketing model. So, you know, direct-to-consumer is, is kind of this buzzword that's going around these days in the retail space because it's causing a lot of disruption. And a lot of your big retailers aren't going to tell you this yet, but they're worried about it, very worried about it. Because what we see is over the next five to ten years, companies like Kuyu, Maven Optics, Exodus Outdoor Gear, um, yours truly, I see companies like that becoming the normal rather than the exception. The reason why is people are not necessarily excited about the fact that they're paying about half of every product that they buy in profit to Cabela's, Bass Pro's, Dick's Sporting Goods, all the major retailers of the world. So what we do is instead of that, we build a product. We build it better because we don't have to compete with 15 other products that are on the same shelf. We build it better. Nobody's telling us how to build our products. We put them out at a better price, and you're getting a more quality product for a cheaper price, which everybody, I think, can be happy with. What we typically like to say is if our camera, the Exodus Lift, was in retail stores, it would be about $479 retail. We're able to sell it at $230 retail and offer our five-year warranty and 50% off theft you know, damage replacement policy because we're direct-to-consumer, and that's a big deal to us. If you guys want to find out more information, and I strongly suggest you do, about Exodus Outdoor Gear, visit exodusoutdoorgear.com and uh, you know, look, read, uh, find out some more information about their trail cameras. And if you do decide to purchase, enter the code nine fingers. That's the number nine followed by the word fingers, and you will receive a $20 discount off of your purchase. Now that's awesome. Make sure you do that, but let's get into today's podcast with Cameron Stover. All right. Today we are doing the fifth installment of the Hunter Wish List podcast. And uh, today, if just as a recap for those guys who haven't listened to this wish list podcast, basically what we've done is we have broken down three different price points, 100, 500, and 2000. And uh, what we are going to do is pick three products out of each category. So, my my guest today, I said, hey, you have $100 left. Name three products that you would buy if you had $100 left over. And we're going to talk about that for each price point. Now, my guest, his name's Cameron. How you doing today, Cameron? Pretty good, Dan. How about yourself? I can't complain, man. Uh, I'm sitting here getting to talk hunting gear with you. So uh, I'm kind of becoming a gear nut the more I do these and uh, love chatting with all you guys. So... Before we start getting into the gear, though, why don't you go ahead and tell us where you're from and what do you do for a living? Well, Dan, I'm from southern West Virginia, uh, born and raised in Logan County. Actually, uh, just moved to the uh, Wood County part of West Virginia. I uh, pursued a career in the natural gas industry. I'm an HSE coordinator uh, for a midstream gas company. Okay. And uh, what does that position do? Uh, health, safety, and environmental. So my job is 
lot of inspections, a lot of training, um, a whole lot of a lot of paperwork along the way. Um, I'm sure you understand how that goes as well. But yeah. uh, there, there's a little bit of a little bit of field work to it, but there's also a lot of office time to it as well. Gotcha. Cool. All right. So, how did your season go this year, Dan? 2016 proved to be one of the toughest seasons I've hunted in a long time. Uh, back where I'm from in Logan County, we had EHD come through and pretty much wipe out our deer herd. Man. Uh, it, it, it didn't stop whether it was a fawn or a five-and-a-half-year-old buck. It was relentless. And uh, I would imagine in certain parts of the area that I hunt, we lost 75% of our herd. Um, and that, that's, that's just an estimate on what I'm used to seeing. This is the first year that I can remember since I started hunting where I did not see a Pope and Young buck all season. Man, that's tough. Um, did, I mean, the numbers, you said 75%. So yep. what were on a, was this between 2015 and 2016 then is when the EHD hit real bad? This hit suddenly right at the beginning. Uh, you're probably looking at August, September. Uh, we were finding bucks in velvet still, and then soon as the bucks hit hardhorned, we just had a really dra- hard drought come through, and it really put a hurting on the deer population. Man, that sucks. Um, so before this EHD came through the area, what? Uh, how many deer were you seeing on average a night or a, a set? Oh, no. Uh, our season opened with EHD well established. Um, so I knew going into the season how hard it was going to be and uh, really had a hard time making myself hunt, not necessarily on the fact that I wasn't going to see deer, but based on the fact that if I harvest a deer this year in this area, well, how much damage am I going to do to the population and to the herd uh, that I cherish? So yeah. um, I really struggled with that on an ethical standpoint as a hunter. So what did, I mean, so the, right before the season started, there was a gigantic kill, right? Lots of deer getting uh, killed by EHD. Was there any announcement from your uh, DNR officers or or the, um, the outdoor departments in your state saying, Hey, it might be best if you lay off hunting this year. So it, you know, so the deer population can rebound or any, any communication at all. Unfortunately, no, I I don't remember ever seeing it on the news or reading it in the paper. Um, I personally have had contacted several DNR officers from the area. Um, they're aware, they were well aware of the, of the problem and, uh, just communicated through them how bad it really was and how sad the situation was. So right. as a group, no, they really didn't. Man, that's uh, definitely tough. So I can definitely see uh, an ethical question that needed to be asked uh, to a hunter. Um, you know, and deer, deer are pretty resilient. I mean, they can live just about anywhere, and, and they do in the United States, and, and they rebound fairly well from certain diseases. Uh, do you feel that, I mean, how long, I I don't know where you hunt. I don't know what the numbers are like, but I guess before this, before EHD hit your area, what was your deer herd like? How many, how many deer were you seeing in a particular hunt? Well, this area of West Virginia that I'm from is actually blessed. Our whole county, we have four counties in the state of West Virginia that are bow only. Okay. Uh, so the whole county is based on having a better herd 
and not necessarily for numbers, but for mature deer. And that's what we're looking for. Most of us are looking for more mature deer. So if I'm running 10 cameras, I'm going to almost bet that eight out of 10 of those has at least one poking young deer. And if that poking young deer, he may be three years old, but I should have at least one buck on on each of the cameras um, that are going to score. Um, I'm personally looking for a four and a half year old. And sometimes those are a little bit harder to track down when you get the older age class of deer, but we're pretty lucky in the area. At least we were up until this year. Gotcha. Okay. But from a number standpoint, I mean, what, like including does, uh, what, what numbers are you, were you used to seeing like 20 deer a night, 10 deer a night? Um, no, if, if I'm lucky, if I'm in a good area, I'm looking at maybe six to eight deer. Okay. It's really unique, the area that we hunt in. Um, there are some reclaimed surface mine, and that provide, provides not necessarily agriculture, but a good browse for different types of grasses. Yeah. Um, but once you get away from those areas, it's all hardwoods, it's all timber, and for miles and miles and miles. So there's no agriculture, there's no open fields or anything like that unless you get away from those reclaimed surface mines. Okay. So then this year, when uh, when the disease hit, you were seeing one, two, or no deer at all? I put a lot of hours in the stand and never had an opportunity to harvest a deer. Uh, I had hunted all season in West Virginia in Logan County and had one chance to kill a deer. Man. Man, I can see yeah, how that would I, definitely be frustrating. It was. I, I was lucky enough to hunt also Kentucky and Ohio uh, for the first years in a couple of years first seasons in a couple of years. So that helped out a lot. Yeah. Did you have some, like some big drought come through the area then? I mean, no rain at all or what, what happened that, uh, the, the outbreak was so serious. Absolutely. Our drought went through for probably three to four weeks. Yeah. Um, and the rugged terrain in which we hunt in, it doesn't really allow for a whole lot of areas to hold water. Yeah. Um, and when they do, it's usually just a mud hole. And when EHD hits, it's, you know, it's around those muddy areas. Right. Uh, we've got some good streams and stuff like that in certain areas, but um, those areas ha- had the least amount of problems. Yeah. Man, that sucks. Well, hopefully uh, they bred like rabbits this year and they dropped some twins and, and uh, the herd definitely recovers for you guys and uh, they don't put any type of or they do depending they the you know the DNR does the proper research and uh tests and studies and whatever to uh get that herd back to your guys's liking. Yeah, and that's all we can hope for is the deer that survived the EHD to survive the season and help them in the future build a uh, a larger herd and and work with the DNR and conservation officers to make sure we provide that. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're talking gear, so uh, we're going to transition after that, and we're going to talk about, you know, 2017 is here, and uh, if you're like me, you're, you're always looking at the newest, the latest, the greatest, you know, you're always trying to tweak your setup so that it's absolutely perfect to you and your needs, and uh, we'll do what we've always done, and, and let's start off with, if you had $100 left to spend on hunting gear what are the three products that you uh that you would spend spend that money on all right dan the first product i would buy would be a big uh half a dozen victory vat tko low torque arrows 
Okay. And uh, what do those cost for a half dozen? Uh, those are approximately $85 per half dozen. Okay. So $85 for six arrows. Um, and what is it about these particular arrows that you like so much? The reason why I switched to these this year, I've been using a lighter arrow um, and had success with those as far as in the field and, and target practice as well. They're very straight. Uh, but I really wanted something with more kinetic energy. I needed a heavier arrow um, for bear hunting and things of that nature. And I really wanted to be more consistent. And I felt like having a lighter spot, lighter arrow uh, weight-wise um, was a disadvantage when it comes to penetration in the woods. So I needed something that gave me um, the best ability uh, to harvest an animal that I could have. Gotcha. Okay. Now, when you went out looking for new arrows, what uh, what were some of the other brands that you looked at in comparison before you said, hey, I want to go with these Victories? Uh, I really compared the Victory and the Gold Tip, uh, okay. specifically uh, the gold tip, um, they have a small diameter arrow as well. Uh, I, I don't really recall the, the name of it off, right offhand, but I compared the, the gold tip and the Victory um, small diameter arrow, uh, and Victory come out ahead. Victory's been making that arrow for a lot longer. Um, they've got a little bit better reputation when it comes to that specific arrow. Uh, not saying that the gold tips aren't good, but the History behind the VAT, kind of being the first one really on the scene for that small diameter arrow uh, is really what intrigued me the most. And the uh, the weight, the heavier insert in the front to help with my front of center. Uh, the better, a little bit better your front of center is, the better penetration you have. Gotcha. So you were looking for a, a small diameter arrow that packed a punch. Exactly. Okay. Now, just, just kind of curious, what kind of broadheads do you shoot? I'm shooting QAD Exodus broadheads this year. Gotcha. And uh, did you say you did buy these arrows this, for this for this season? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, I felt a need that I needed them, so I went ahead and purchased those, hunted with them, broke a few along the way, uh, practicing around, but I didn't break any in the woods as far as shooting through deer and things of that nature. So that helped out a lot. How did that? How did that combination? Uh, performed for you this year i mean i know in west virginia you didn't get a chance to shoot a deer but did you harvest a deer in any other states i did i was able to harvest a buck in ohio and uh i i did wound unfortunately a deer in kentucky but uh that was my fault and with a different broadhead gotcha so that that combination with the uh the qad exodus and the uh those victory arrows how do you feel that that performed Oh, flawlessly. I, I really, they surpassed my expectation. I really didn't expect it to be that big of a difference between what I was shooting was a good arrow. Uh, price point wasn't even a factor. I was spending as much money as I wanted to spend on the arrows that I were previously shooting. They were just too light. Uh, and I don't mean light spine, I mean light grains per square inch. Yeah. Uh, so I was losing a lot of kinetic energy once I made impact. And when it boils down to the kinetic energy, if you don't have it when you hit something, you don't have anything. That's right. All right, cool. Well, uh, Victory Arrows for that first one. Now, what's the second uh, the second product? Thermocell heated insoles, specifically the ProFlex model. Okay. And uh, talk to us a little bit about that. 
All right, the reason why I chose the thermocell heated insoles is simply because I like wearing a smaller, lighter, uh, more mobile boot in the woods, and I want to be able to use that boot all season long rather than having to have six or seven different pairs. Uh, I want to be able to keep one or two models in. That way I can rotate them out. But I want thin, uh, mobile boots that aren't going to burn me up in the hotter parts of the year. Okay. Uh, the thermocell heated insoles will allow me to stay out in the field longer, especially on those cold days. Right. I wish I had a pair of uh, thermocell heated insoles uh, on my hunt uh, a couple days ago. My, I was wearing a pair of rubber boots because I had to walk through a, a crick, a little bit of a crick to get to uh, my stand location. And uh, I got in my tree and everything was good. And then I started to cool down. And then my toes, man, my toes go fast. Um, now, did you have, do you have any experience with this product before yeah or? Um, I, i've never used them personally but i got a really good friend he's got some now and, and he's been able to have great success as far as being more comfortable in the stand uh, but me playing around with his version i really didn't like it because it was the original okay. uh, and they're kind of stiff um, if you do a lot of walking you need a comfortable shoe and a comfortable insole uh, but those did really weren't what i wanted uh, and the proflex models have offer a little bit more comfort a little bit more flexibility uh, but the same great features as far as keeping the feet warm. Gotcha. Now, how is this controlled? I, I've seen some of these heated insole models that are controlled through like a battery pack and then also some that are controlled through your cell phone. Uh, these actually have like a little remote control that you can stick in your pocket. They're rechargeable. Uh, you just go home, plug the charger into the wall, plug your insoles into the charger, and you're good to go. It takes uh, about four hours uh, using the the wall charger in order okay. to do that. Gotcha. Um, and you can also do these in the field if you have an external battery pack like you would you carry for your cell phone because they got a USB port and you can also charge the field as well. Okay. So, yeah, that's definitely something that I've actually looked at in the past. What does uh, something like that cost? Uh, I found them on Walmart for $112. Um, I haven't checked the site lately to see if those prices have fluctuated i know the uh the actual retail price of those were 185 but i found if you do any price shopping you can really save a whole lot of money on these by just shopping around uh, right. walmart wasn't advertising a, a clearance price or anything like that that was just listed what was online so i have no doubt that i can get closer to that hundred hundred dollar mark had i need if i need to shop around a little bit right okay all right and your third and final product for the $100 price category. All right. This is a Walker's Game Ear HD Elite. Um, this is something I have no personal experience with whatsoever, um, but it's always something that's intrigued me. Okay. So for those people who don't know what uh, a Walker's Game Ear is, why don't you explain to it to us what it is and why you think you should have one? All right. Here, the Walker's Game Ear is kind of like a hearing aid. And we think of hearing aids, we think of people hearing loss, and they need to be able to hear at a normal level, like we're used to now. Um, but what a hearing aid can do for you in the field is increase the small sounds that we sometimes think, well, is that a squirrel or is that a 140-inch buck walking up behind me? Uh, if I can hear that a little bit more clearly uh, or maybe from a further distance away, I can be prepared for that when the scenario presents itself. 
Okay. Um, and, um, I mean, is there, do you have any more information for us on that? Like, uh, what kind of batteries does it run on? Is it, uh, I mean, is it something that goes into your ear, like, uh, a a pair of music, you know, uh, music ear, ear pods or what are they? Uh, these are a little bit larger. They kind of got like a, the old fashioned earplug style that fits into the ear, but it actually wraps around the top of the ear Okay. uh, and kind of holds itself in the support. Um, it runs off like a normal small hearing aid batteries, um, some kind of like laser pointers come with those same style batteries. Um, that's the same kind of battery power that it's got. So it's real compact. Uh, you can turn it on and off just by touching your ear. Um, but the, the kind of the, the scientific side of it is it boosts up to 40 decibels of hearing enhancement. Uh, and if you know anything about levels of Volume, 40 decibels, is a huge amount. Um, a normal whisper or a rustling of leaves. If you're in a stand, you hear the leaves just kind of blowing in the wind a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really about 20 decibels. Um, and you and I talking right now, as clearly as it may be, that's measured at 60 decibels. So the difference in the, those leaves rustling in it, rustling from far away, and the difference in me and you talking, that's supposed to be... Um, the improvement is what these offer. Okay. Um, now, the side effect, somebody at home may be thinking, well, if a, what am I going to do when I want to start rattling? I'm making all this noise. Do I turn it off? No, these actually pick up loud noises and kind of tunnel them down. Uh, they don't um, stop it. They just do not, um, they don't amplify the louder sounds that you would normally hear. Uh, all it does is kind of take the low-volume noises and increases them. Uh, but it kind of ignores all the loud noises, like a gunshot, for instance. Gotcha. Okay. Now, is there is there a reason why you chose these? I mean, is there been a, a situation where you thought it was a squirrel, but it was actually a buck, or um, you maybe got complacent on some sound that was coming from a, a direction, and you ignored it when you when you probably should have stood up and got your your bow. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, every every squirrel that you hear that you can't see, you always wish that it's a big buck that you're after walking in. Uh, but it, usually it's a disappointment. Um, the biggest thing that I've seen on my end, and this is just me personally, is my cell phone. I, I find my cell phone as a distraction. It, it keeps me awake. It keeps me occupied. But if I am looking down at my phone, sending my buddy a text message to say, hey, checking on his day and uh, how his hunt's going, I may be able to hear something that I normally should have seen if I'd have been looking up. Um, so I want to be able to have that extra advantage while I'm in the stand of being able to, I don't want to slack off and not be paying attention, but I want to have an upper hand. And, and as, as hunters, we always are looking for an edge, and I feel like this will give me an edge in the woods. All right. And what does uh, one of these run? Uh, these actually have a high retail price again, but Walmart, and Amazon were real consistent at one seventeen a piece for the HD model. Uh, they have several several different models, uh, but for the price point, the HD seems about right. All right, all righty, all right. Now we're going to go into the five hundred dollar uh, price point. What is the first five hundred dollar product that you would purchase? All right, Bushnell G Force DX Rangefinder with Arc. Okay. And uh, the the first thing is is obviously there's a ton of rangefinders on the market. Why this Bushnell G Force? 
uh, you're absolutely right. There's a ton of great products on the market, and they all pretty much do the same thing. They're point, shoot, give you a range. Uh, simply the only reason why I wanted to stick with Bushnell on this, because I've currently got a Bushnell uh, Scout ARC 1000. I've had it for probably seven years. Um, I've destroyed it each and every year. It just keeps taking a beating, and it's still ticking. It's still ranging every time I hit the button, as long as I keep batteries in it. And it's performed very well, especially for the investment that I made in it. Uh, the only problem with is that is I'm losing confidence expecting it to go bad. It's okay. still working. I'm just looking for something that is going to replace this in the near future. I gotcha. So explain to us what the ARC is in the title. All right. The ARC is angle compensation. Uh, when you're in a tree stand, this is especially important for a bow hunter. Uh, it may be the difference in five yards, depending on your angle. And when you put a normal rangefinder that doesn't have any angle compensation in it, it'll measure the distance um, down directly towards that o- the object that you're trying to. If it's a deer, uh, it's measuring that angle. But the arc actually takes the angle from the base of your tree and measures the distance between the base of your tree and the target. Um, and that's really what it is. Um, if you've ever been in a tree stand and you've, you've overshot an obstacle, uh, a target or an animal, uh, that may be wise because you were thinking or ranging an object to be 25 yards and it's actually 20 yards. Um, because of the, the whole point is you're looking at the base of your tree. Gotcha. Okay. And then, um, is there anything else specific about this particular range finder or feature that, that you found inter- interesting? Yeah. When I got into it um, and actually started looking up into the details that to prepare myself for this right here, I was really intrigued with the two, the bow mode and the rifle mode. Uh, the bow mode is really angled towards a bow hunter. Um, it's, it ranges between five and 99 yards um, in half yard in, uh, accuracy. Um, it has a six-time magnification to where I can actually leave my binos at home if I'm hunting strictly in a tree stand, and that may be enough to help me judge a approaching three-and-a-half-year-old compared to a four-and-a-half-year-old uh, by not actually having to go through the trouble of digging up binos and putting them up to my face. I've got my rangefinder around my neck. I'm ready to go. Uh, that 6X magnification may be the difference in me getting busted in the stand and me not. Um, they're waterproof, and it also has a rifle mode uh, which will range up to 1,300 yards. Um, now, I don't think I'll ever need that op- option, uh, especially 1,300 yards where I'm from, uh, but it is good to have. Gotcha. And what does that run for? Uh, the price on this, they range from 300 to $400. Okay. All righty. The next product on the $500 category. All right, these are Loa boots. Uh, these are custom fitted by a company for, called Lathrop and Sons. Uh, this is a product that I have absolutely no hands-on experience with whatsoever. Um, this is something, a product that I know that I need. Maybe it's not the best product out there in the world, but they really sold me on their custom fit process, and that's really why I just I picked these boots. So, you're. The Loa Boots, and then another company does the custom fitting? Yeah, this company sells these boots. They sell several different brands from doing my research. Okay. Uh, these boots actually run for 385 
okay. retail price. Uh, their custom boot prop system, uh, once you actually go through this and have these boots custom fitted to your feet, that costs an additional $150. Okay. Uh, brings our total up to five thirty-five. Okay. Um, so why a pair of, first off, Loa boots? Um, by the yep. way, for, for the listeners out there, we've done a, a Loa boots um, podcast, so make sure you go and check that out. But, you know, number one, why Loa? And then number two, why a custom fit? instead of working them in and, you know, just doing them, doing the, the break-in period yourself or explain what that process is. Well, I, I went through a lot of boots in the last few years uh, and I've really figured out what doesn't work for me. Uh, I don't like a slip-on style boot. I, I, there seems to be a lot of room around on my feet. Um, I like a more, um, I want a lace-up style that's going to allow me to be more active. So I don't want a tough boot. Um, my goal in the next year or so is to get out west. I'm from the East Coast, so I want to get out west and experience um, those that backcountry style hunt. And one of the biggest things when you start doing any research or reading about, you got to have a good pair of boots. Right. Uh, and and lower boots, that name's synonymous with gr- good pair of boots for the out west. Right. Okay. And then, um, how long? I mean, did you what what makes them custom? Uh, the custom fit process, they send a 3D mapping kit out, and you pretty much trace your foot at home. Um, it, it's really neat the way it works, uh, and then you send that back to them after you trace your foot. And, and it's not on a piece of paper. It's actually uh, uh, a nice little mat, and it you put your weight down on it, and it kind of puts like an ink mark on it. And then you go around the outside of your foot as well with it. Uh, and then they'll build an insole, pretty much, that shapes the size of your foot to the boot. Hmm. Uh, so but it's not it's not something that i'm going to be able to share it's not something that i'm going to be able to use probably from boot to boot um that's exactly why i picked the lower boots i want a boot that's going to last me for several years uh, and if i'm going to spend all this time and money and effort going through this i want to make sure these boots are going to hold up and i'm going to get my value out of them for a long period of time right right so it's basically just the sole that is the custom part, not like the ankle support or the laces or any of that stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, you're not putting a bunch of bells and whistles on it. I'm just adding comfort. Okay. Cool. Cool. Uh, all right. The, the last product in the $500 price point. Well, Dan, this is one product that I wish I never had to list on here. Uh, but this is the spot trace, and, and the reason why it's on here is simply because where there's other hunters, sometimes you run into issues with people wanting to take things that's not theirs. Mm-hmm. I've listened to your podcast long enough to know that I'm not the only person that's had that problem. Right. Uh, so what the spot does, it's a, a single unit, you know, about the size of your cell phone, actually a little bit smaller. I think their dimensions are uh, uh, 2.69 inches by 2 inches by 1 inches thick. Um, I can take that product and attach it to anything that I want, whether that's a backpack, um, a trail camera, a tree stand, uh, and it uses GPS satellites um, to feed me information of where that product is. Um, And I can set the increments in time, whether it records that data every two and a half minutes, five minutes, all the way up to 60 minutes um, through GPS signals. The only problem is you have to have a a uh, 
install the plan that you pay. It's a hundred dollars a year, or you can pay a monthly fee um, per unit. So if I've got three units, I've got to pay for three different models. Um, it's a little bit expensive, but at the end of the day, a little bit more peace of mind when you're leaving a $300 tree stand hanging in a tree, you'd like to know that you're coming home to it, coming right. back to it. So, Right. Right. Yeah. I, uh, I don't, if you followed the podcast and then for those out there who do, you guys have known that, uh, I got my, uh, I got a, a trail camera stolen this year and I've had several people reach out to me and say, Hey, you know, try a GPS tracker, try a GPS tracker. And, uh, one of the ones that I ended up researching was this one. Um, now I didn't do too much, too much terrible research into it. But, uh, as far as this spot tracer is concerned, what is the, what's the life of the battery on it? How, how far, what's, I guess, what's the range on it? Um, these run off four AAA batteries. Um, and then as long as they can get a GPS signal, uh, it can actually pick that, pick that unit up now the goal would be to if somebody's stealing something they don't actually know that's there so that would be the big hardest part is concealing that um product from them so if i see a gps unit on something or something that doesn't stick out if i'm a thief i'm going to discard that and they could simply just take it off and go on about your merry way and you never find it except for the gps unit um now how this will work is i'll get an email or a text message through my cell phone and it tells me even when it's moving like, uh, if I got a stationary object, I can even program it to where it sends me an alert each time that unit moves. Um, so I know right, right within within a couple minutes of hey, somebody's picked up your trail camera. It's on its way down the hill. Oh, yeah. um, and what does something like that run for? Uh, these units actually run for about a hundred dollars a piece. Um, you can actually find them on clearance sale prices for fifty. When we originally started talking about doing the podcast, Cabela's had them on sale for 50 bucks. Uh, last week, they had them back up to 100 uh, Same unit. They really didn't do anything different. Uh, the only catch is these units cost $100 annually to have that subscription service. Right. Um, now, is that... So uh, that's really where you got to... Is that on the website, ahead. or is that a, um, uh, an app for your phone? How's that work? Uh, you actually pay for this service, I think, through them, uh, and you can still track this with their. They got an app, I believe, okay. and you can track that through your cell phone. Okay. Is it big enough? Is this little device uh, big enough to fit inside of a trail camera somehow? Or, I mean, how would you how would you go about installing this on a tree stand or on a trail camera without them noticing? Uh, the tree stand would be a much easier process. The trail camera itself, um, I actually seen a guy on, online the other night, and he was talking about the same scenario. And I really wanted to say, hey, tune into the podcast next week, and you're going to be able to hear all about this. Uh, and I give him the same suggestion. Hey, try this spot. You could take the guts out of any trail camera out there if you can put it back together, put this unit inside of it, um, if it's a dead camera. Of course, you're not going to tear up a brand-new camera uh, but I've got a bunch of cameras through the years that no longer work. Yeah. Uh, so a little bit of redneck ingenuity, and uh, you could really set somebody up on a trail camera setup. Uh, for the tree stand, endless possibilities. I mean, you can put it inside the cushioning of that cam- of that seat. You could actually just zip tie on the base of it. Um, a lot of people, if they're going to steal something, they're probably not going to look through it a whole lot. They're going to maybe look for a trail camera around, but if there's no camera, they're going to take that stand and run. Right. Um, I keep mine locked up 
uh, but a lock only keeps an honest man out. Right, right. So have you had many issues in the past with people stealing your stuff? <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, in our neck of the woods where I like to hunt, uh, it's very common to come back and you not have a single thing left in the area that you thought you had to yourself. Man, that's crazy. All right. Well, that sucks that, uh, you know, as hunters, we have to talk about this, but, you know, there are some real dipshits out there, and they were kind of ruining it for everybody. And then guys like me and you are talking about having to put GPS systems on trail cameras and tree stands and whatnot. Yeah, it does. Uh, but a lot of times it's not another hunter. From my experience, it's really not other hunters out there doing it. I mean, if I got a guy bow hunting within a couple hundred yards of me, I know my stuff's safe. Um, but it's the guy that's coming through at night with, with, with coon dogs or somebody going through the day in September during ginseng season. That's really when I start worrying is when I've see, got some coon hunters running around on camera or ginseng season. Right, right. All righty. So we're done with that $500, uh, $500 category. Now let's move into the $2,000 category. What's the first product there? All right, Dan, I'm going to throw a curveball at you. I'm going to throw right. a mountain bike. It's a, a mountain bike. Made by Giant. Absolutely a mountain bike. Okay. It's made by Giant. Uh, it's called the Stance 2. That's their 2017 model. Okay. Why a mountain bike? Well, as you know, hunting southern West Virginia didn't work out to me this year for uh, very well. So I moved into Ohio and started hunting some public ground. And, uh, one of really the areas that I really focused in on, a lot of the top of it were fields. Uh, and some of these fields were up to 700 yards long to the areas that I was going in to hunt. Um, and heck, by the time you walk there, it's you've, you've wasted a half hour. You're bumping everything in the world. Everything hears you coming. Um, right. Or you're soaking wet. Um, and rubber boots really aren't the best thing to walk in to keep you from getting wet. So trying to figure out a way, hey, how can I get from point A to point B Quickly and quietly. So, why not a bicycle? Okay. Yeah. So, I started doing research on bicycles, and I, I really wanted to get the value for my money. So, I really didn't want to go in and spend a whole lot of money. I went to Walmart, grabbed a couple off the shelf, and the first thing I test was the brakes. I looked like a little kid riding down the, the <laughs> aisle of Walmart. So, I get hop on, I test the brakes, and the brakes don't hold me well enough to stop me at Walmart. What makes you think they're going to stop me in the woods? Right. Uh, so after doing more research, a hydraulic disc brake, which is what this bike comes with, uh, provides maximum stopping distance for a bicycle. Uh, pretty much if I grab that brake, I know it's going to be there. Uh, and if I want to be able to stop in the woods. So that's really one of the key features of this bike that I was looking for was hydraulic disc brakes. Okay. Uh, feature number two was a dual suspension setup. Now, this is something you do not have to have. Uh, if I want to get to a tree stand, a front shock and a hard tail would be just fine. Uh, but the difference was, if I'm going to go ahead and spend all this money on a nice bicycle, I might as well use it for recreational purposes as well. Um, so if I'm going to be able to dual purpose this bike, not only for hunting, but also for play, why not? Right. So spend the extra money, get a bike that I can do both with, Gotcha. Now, I don't know if the places that you hunt allow electrical vehicles or motorized vehicles on them, but it, I, and I'm not sure what this new bike because 
I don't know if you've heard of a quiet cat before. Yep. They're, they're coming out with a, a mountain bike type of product. Have Did you look at, into that at all? I'm not sure. It might be around that $2,000 price point. I actually have. I did look into that, and they actually make some electric. There's other electric bikes out there. The only problem is the public now that I'm hunting does not allow that, and that's classified as a motorized vehicle. So gotcha. no motorized vehicles. So um, back to the elbow grease and a little bit of foot power is all you got. That's right. Okay, cool. And uh, this particular mountain bike, this giant, does it have those bigger front wheels or the bigger, fatter wheels on it? Uh, it's got a rim size of 27 and a half inch. It is not the uh, the fat tire like they classify for being more aggressive for mud and uh, to really help. I've actually had one a similar bike like this and already sold it because I really didn't need it for any other purpose uh, except for playing around with. Now that I could hunt with it, I wish I still had it. Right. Uh, but those big large tires uh, that just really is for me is just going to add more weight, more bulk. Uh, when these smaller tires are still going to be just as effective. Um, now, the rim size, uh, traditional bikes that probably you and I grew up with, 26-inch tire was considered, hey, man, that's, that's a big that's a big kid's bike there. Um, but uh, those are kind of went away from it. You've actually got what's called a 29er. That's the largest rim, uh, really made for climbing, uh, going over obstacles. These are really good in the woods when you come across a tree limb or a little log or rocks and stuff like that. It really eats them up, and you're a lot more comfortable. Um, now, me personally, I'm only 5'9", so the that 29er didn't feel very comfortable, but the Giant Stance 2 is actually a 27 and a half. So I've got the flexibility of that 26-inch uh, to being more mobile, and I've still got to be able to op- conquer those obstacles that that 29 will do. So it's kind of the best of both worlds gotcha so what does the uh what's the price on this bike it's well under budget it's uh, 1365 is the retail price and that's tri- strictly from their website um, that extra money i could spend it on accessories for one a helmet i mean if i'm going to be out in the woods and probably driving faster than what i need to be because i'm late I'm going to wear a helmet and make sure that I'm safe. Um, you can actually, they make a lot of different bow holders to put on a bicycle. You can buy things like that. Um, surprisingly, you spend 1300 bucks on a bike, guess what you still have to buy? Pedals. Um, most of these bikes don't come with pedals, so you got to buy pedals for them. <laughs> You, you know how pissed off I would be if I, if I bought a bicycle and it showed up to my door and it didn't have pedals on it? Yep, I found that very surprisingly myself. <laughs> Um, the only pro- reason why they don't do it is because there's so many different options and there's so many different types of riders. Right. Kind of the, right. the more serious guys, they want to clip onto that bike and not fall off of it. Whereas if I'm going to wreck, I want to make sure that I can just stand up and Bail. not go with the bike. Right. So right. I- I'm going to use a platform style pedal and get from point A to point B safely. Right. Okay. Well, there's that. And I, you know, I've heard of a lot of guys using mountain bikes to get back into the, uh, you know, certain parts of their farm where a they don't want to walk that far, and b they don't want to drive through it. I've I've often thought of that as well. Just I've never followed through with it, but I can definitely see how uh, how it might be uh, it might be useful. Yeah, and, and it really isn't useful from where I'm from originally, right. in Logan County, West Virginia, because our terrain features are so rough and rugged. Right. Um, if you don't have an ATV, you're really not accessing a lot of areas that I hunt. 
And by the time you get there, especially walk, either walking or on a, on a bicycle, you're going to be wore out. You're not going to want to hunt. You're going to be sweaty. Uh, it stinks that whole area out. Uh, but right. where I've kind of gravitated towards in Ohio, man, the terrain features are so much easier, uh, a lot more easier to navigate the woods and the mountains. Uh, and this bicycle, heck, I can go up anything that I've crossed through in Ohio so far. Right. Okay. All right. There's that. Now, uh, the second product. All right, this product's made by Reinhardt. It's called their Brick Wall, and they make a 36-inch and a 48-inch, but if I've got the extra money, I'm spending on the 48-inch. All right. So what is the – I know Reinhardt makes targets, but what is the Brick Wall? All right, this Brick Wall um, is actually just a big, solid-faced target um, with interchangeable blocks in it. So instead of me wearing out a little dot and my target's ruined, all I have to do is – draw a new dot on a different block and then change the location of that block so these blocks uh, are four inches tall uh, 15 inches deep and 48 inches wide so these stack on top of each other to be 48 inches by 48 inches and it's 15 inches deep um, so with all these blocks stacked up i can just take the bottom one put it on the top and just keep a continuous rotation until i've completely shot up this target I went through several targets in my life, um, practicing shooting errors and broadheads and all this stuff. And these little, these block targets are great. Uh, they they last a couple seasons, but at the end of the year, uh, they're usually shot up, uh, especially if they've been exposed to a lot of UV light as well and broadheads. Uh, this particular model is really not designed for broadhead use. It's really a uh, a flat target face uh, for field points. It, a lot of guys want to shoot this with uh, spot targets, like a Vegas round or thing like, something like that. But this is also great for a, a bow hunter. Um, okay. I can remember when I first started shooting, I used to make my own targets with big chunks of foam with a big, solid, flat face. And this is really the closest thing on the market right now that I've found to get me back to where I used to be. Uh, I really like that large target. And this is something that you could do at home if you want to invest the money in. And if you take care of it, man, this could last you a lifetime. Right, right. So I'm looking at, I actually went on to the website right now, and it's just a giant wall of foam, basically. And then, exactly. you, then yep. you, you, put your own, you put your own dot or whatever on it. Um, why, why this particular target over all the other type of targets, like a, a deer target, for, for example? Well, the, the problem is with a deer target is sometimes you get focused in on the location of the body, uh, putting that arrow where it needs to be, and you get satisfied in, well, that's the lungs of the deer. That's a kill shot. Uh, but when I'm sighting in a bow and I really want to fine-tune my skills, I want to aim at the smallest point on that target as I can get. Right. When I'm sighting my bow in, I'm not shooting to, to hit a deer. I'm shooting to kill a deer. And if I'm going to be prepared for that, I want to make sure that I'm performing with my equipment to the best of my ability. Um, so having a good target uh, where I can focus on a small object, uh, uh, yes, this target's 48 inches wide, but I can put a thumbtack on it and I aim at that thumbtack all day long. Um, and that's really what I'm focused in on. I want to be able to aim as small as I can and not really get focused in on uh, the, the deer or the bear target, the 3D side of it. Right. Uh, 3D targets are great. I, I love going to shoot tournaments uh, and, and doing a lot of preseason practice with that. Um, but really for for new beginners, the, we kind of skip that step. There's so many targets on the market right now, that, and it draws people to it. 
because, hey, if I'm hunting a deer, I want a deer target. And that's good. That's good practice to do is to, to go through that repetition for shot placement. But at the beginning step, we kind of miss as bow hunters uh, because we get too we get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, we got to fine tune our equipment first, and, and this is really the first step in that for me uh, is fine tuning my bow as most accurately as I can be. Okay, okay, makes a lot of sense. Um, now, do you know first off what does it cost for the entire setup, and then what does it cost to replace one of the um, those bricks? those uh, layers uh, the retail price of this whole unit is actually 1950 okay. uh, I found on Lancaster before shipping you're looking at 1584 uh, now I, I don't know the individual price of each brick I didn't get that information for you mm-hmm. but with that versatility of being able to relocate those bricks from the area in which I'm shooting the most to a new area uh, that I wouldn't personally be shooting, and I can take a new brick into it, I, my life cycle of this target could be 10 years if I take care of it. Now, me, I'm probably going to throw some broadheads in it anyways. I'm going to tear it up a lot quicker than what I can, what I should have. Um, but I really didn't get that price for you, Dan. And I apologize. No, that's all right. Uh, is this broadhead ca- capable too, then? Uh, no, it's not. They actually put right there on the website that uh, it's, a, it's a field point only target, um, but I know how I am. Uh, I'm probably going to go ahead and abuse a few of those bricks and sacrifice them each year uh, just because I want to be just as accurate with my broadheads as I am with my field tips. So as long as they'll pull out of it, I'm comfortable replacing them. Sounds good. Perfect. All right. Um, And then the last possible one for 2000, the last slot of the day, what do we got? All right, I'm going to take all the 2000 that I can get, and I'm going to put that towards a lease, either in Ohio, Kentucky, or West Virginia, one of these three states. Okay. Now, $2,000 left. Um, now, I look at a hunting lease, right? And I don't just look at money. I look at time, too. You know, like, is, yep. is, am I going to be able to spend enough time using this uh, hunting lease where I could justify the two thousand dollars that's that's me right off the bat why did you decide a hunting lease i'm running out of options man uh, i don't have access to a whole lot of private ground uh, i'm lucky the area that i hunted in logan county and we got my family owns 200 acres um, so i've always had access to that property uh, but with ehd coming through the area it, it's hard to go back and hunt an animal that's not there right uh, ohio there's a lot of competition uh, i thought we're going into this season. Hey, I'm going to hunt Ohio public ground. This is going to be a slam dunk, and I'm really not going to have a hard time finding deer. Well, that's that was true. I didn't really have a hard time finding deer. What I had a hard time doing was finding deer that were moving in daylight on public ground. And if you've hunted public ground enough, you know that when pressured, these deer shut down or they move out. Uh, so, right. uh, and then Kentucky, uh, Kentucky offers something special that West Virginia and Ohio do not. Uh, they offer a chance at an early season, full velvet deer, uh, and that's an opportunity that I really can't get elsewhere on the East Coast. Uh, so Kentucky is very unique in that perspective of having that first crack of the season at a mature velvet deer, and that's something I've always wanted to do. Okay. And uh, is this something that, I mean, 
What kind of lease would you be looking for? I mean, I, I don't know. I've never had to, I've never leased any property in, in my day. I've, I've thought about it. I uh, thought about leasing a, a couple farms where the, and the reason, similar to what you said, the reason I would even lease in the first place would be to get a farm that I would have 100% control of. I mean, I wouldn't be bouncing off other hunters. Uh, and that would, for me, that's the only particular reason. Um, what is, is there anything else about a, uh, that I guess you would find beneficial for a lease over private ground well, actually, or, yeah. Well, okay. Go well, ahead. First step is first step is access. I mean, if you don't have any other options, um, then having something that you know that you can fall back on to hunt is a, is a good thing to have. Um, a lot of places in Ohio that I've tried to get permission on private ground to hunt. Uh, this past season, it's either A, leased or B, hunted by family. Um, and then the occasional, we don't allow hunters. And, and those are all obstacles that you got to overcome. But I want the opportunity to lease and to manage. Uh, at this point in time, my wife and I plan to buy property in the next couple of years. Uh, but I want to get prepared for that. Uh, and I feel like a lease would be the first step in finding the right ground in the right area. Gotcha. I want to be able to not not going to be able to control the entire deer herd. I mean, I realize that 2,000 acres really isn't going to go very far, especially when you cross the river and go into Ohio. Uh, lease prices run 30 to 40 dollars an acre in this area in Ohio, West Virginia. You're looking at five dollars an acre max. Um, sometimes even less than that. It's just finding the right property. Um, there's places in West Virginia that it's really not worth bow hunting. There's places in West Virginia that offer world-class bow hunting that's locked up that, and you're just not going to be able to get into. Okay. So if you had your pick, if I gave you $2,000 today and I said, okay, go lease some land, what state would you be looking at right away? I'm going to Kentucky. Um, okay. and, and the sole reason is the longer season that they offer, that early season is the most intriguing part of this. Um, there's parts of Kentucky that are renowned for bow um, Boone and Crockett whitetail. Um, and if I, if I can get an early jump start of my season, especially during Labor Day weekend, uh, when I, I get lucky and have a three-day weekend to hunt, uh, I would be able to take advantage of that. And Kentucky offers that unique perspective of, again, that velvet hunt and close to home. How far um, from where you live, how far is Ohio where you hunt, and how far is Kentucky where you hunt? Um, I've got properties in Ohio that I can hunt within a half hour of my house. Okay. Uh, and then I've got public ground that are within an hour uh, that I can be in areas that I've, I'm familiar with. Uh, now, the properties I hunt in West Virginia are about two hours and 15 minutes away. And the Kentucky, um, I, I can be in Kentucky in about two and a half hours, but it's a big state. So I've hunted East Coast. I've hunted the central part of Kentucky, and I've really not found the, the best area. Uh, for me, uh, I don't have a particular county mark, marked up that I want to say this is exactly where I want to be. I know there's there's great hunting in all areas of Kentucky, um, and there's even elk in Kentucky. If you, your listeners don't aren't aware of that, Kentucky yeah. even has a great uh, herd of elk right now, and West Virginia is just now starting to get on that train. We've actually introduced our first herd of elk in the state of West Virginia in like 100 years. Um, so that's very exciting for southern West Virginia right now. So there's a lot of possibilities, and really Kentucky offers the best bang for my buck, uh, especially when you're coming in from a price perspective. Right, right. For sure, for sure. Well, 
all valid uh, all valid reasons. And uh, Cameron, hey man, I really appreciate you coming on the show, taking time to uh, go over all these products and scenarios with me. Man, I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, I have to admit that I'm really jealous of the fact that you're going to the ATA show and I'll have to go to work. <laughs> well, i tell you what I'll do. I'll do my best. I, I don't think I'm going to be able to launch any podcasts directly from the show. Um, if you're listening to this particular podcast, it will be Wednesday. So Wednesday of... Uh, the 10th, I think it is. And, uh, I'll be at the ATA show and I'm going to, I'm going to do some, probably some live reporting, but, uh, through Facebook and whatnot, but, um, uh, I'll do my best. I'm going to be putting out some podcasts the following week of information that I've got from there. So hopefully, uh, that will work for you. Yeah. I have a feeling this wish list is getting ready to grow after the <laughs> ATA show. Amen. Right. It's probably Absolutely. bad. It's probably bad that I even go. Because I'm uh, I, I'm that kind of guy who's like, man, I kind of want that. I want that. I want that. Next thing you know, it's I'm looking at my list of things to buy, and it's like fifteen thousand dollars, and I just gotta I just gotta wad up the piece of paper and throw it away. Yeah, my wife just uh, overheard that conversation, so she <laughs> I don't think she's very happy at the moment either. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll let you get back to the to the wife, and maybe you can calm her down. And uh, thanks again, and uh, have a have a good one. Hey, Dan, appreciate it. Have a safe trip. And we're done. Uh, thank you very much, Cameron, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Huge shout out to the partners of this podcast, DeerLab.com and Exodus Trail Cameras. And what else, what else, what else? Thank you very much to you, the listeners, each and every one of you, for taking time to download this podcast and uh, spend an hour with this crazy whitetail slash hunting slash mule deer elk I don't know, whatever, uh, turkey, fish, outdoor enthusiast. I appreciate spending your time with me. And uh, thank you for your continued support in 2017. If you haven't already, go to iTunes and leave a review uh, if you like this podcast, uh, whether it's a, a written review or a, a star review. Other than that, I, I really appreciate your time. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and just overall thank you thank you thank you i'm very blessed i'm very happy thank you to my wife um i don't know why i'm doing this all now but uh thank you to my mom and dad for having sexual intercourse and giving me life <laughs> so on on that note i'm done all right i'm i'm done have a great day have a great week and wear your damn safety harness <laughs>